Our scripture reading this morning comes from the gospel according to John, chapter 4. We're going to read verses 7 through 15. Then we're going to skip down and read verses 27 through 29. A Samaritan woman came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, You have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well, and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Just then his disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman, but no one said, what do you want? Or why are you speaking to her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, friends, you heard in the children's sermon today that I will be going on that charter bus all the way to St. Simon's Island, Georgia with sixth graders, with seventh graders, and with some eighth graders. So I need your prayers (laughs) next weekend. But this is why God created noise-canceling headphones. So... You know, I I remember going through confirmation. I was a young person in Aiken, South Carolina at my home church, St. John's Methodist. I I remember meeting with the pastor and feeling like this was an important part of my life. And I I remember studying about the Bible and and studying about John Wesley. And I remember standing in front of my church professing my faith with all the other people uh, to my left and my right, the people from my church. And I remember so much from that because later on in life, of course, this became part of who I am as someone who preaches and teaches and helps with confirmation. And along the way, one of the things that I remember is how many times, how many times our pastor talked about what it means to live like a Christian, not just to learn this information, but something's required of us and how we live our lives because of what we believe. Now, later on, I went through something called Disciple Bible Study when I was a a senior in high school. And it was a a pathway, a a study to go through about 34 weeks of reading the Bible from beginning to end, you know, skipping over some things. Some of you may have participated in Disciple Bible Study or something like it. This was a teenage version, so it was a little bit less reading uh, over time, but the gist of it was still there that we read through the whole Bible. And I remember how many times in scripture, it wasn't just 
believe, but it was do this because you believe. It was do this because I am the Lord your God, right? So many times there is an understanding in scripture that whatever it is we read needs to be lived out in our own lives. Now, I grew up in a church that was only traditional worship. We didn't have contemporary worship where I grew up until later. And I remember that contemporary worship for us was when we went on uh, a retreat, much like the kids are going on this weekend, and we would have contemporary worship, which means we would sing, Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary a cappella." That was, you know, we didn't have an organ. We didn't have a piano. That was modern for us. A little bit different these days. But I remember that song and we didn't have songbooks because we were in the youth group and we sang that over and over again. We just remembered the words, Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true, right? And that opening stanza ends with the people who sing it saying, I'll be a living sanctuary for you, a living sanctuary. Those words, again, were just so formative. Confirmation, disciple Bible study, worshiping, having these songs become part of who I was. To the point at which when I went off to college at the University of South Carolina and I began going to some of these college ministries that were out there, I ended up looking for something that was sort of like what I grew up listening to, right? I went to the Methodist one, I went to an Episcopal one, and some of my friends invited me to go to another denominational college ministry, and it was at a movie theater. And so it was one of the small ones back in the day, and I was sitting somewhere towards the back, and the preacher up front, the teacher speaking to all these college students, was talking about other denominations or other faiths. And the night that my friends had invited me over, they were talking about the Church of Latter-day Saints. And I remember not hearing an educational message about what they believe and how that's different from us. I remember hearing a very vile message slamming people who believe differently than the people in the room. And it just stuck with me. And I, I don't know, maybe two, 300 people were, were in that, that movie theater. And I remember raising my hand and whatever an 18 or 19 year old would say, this is my 40 year old summary of it. Why are we spending so much time talking about how bad other people are instead of talking about what we believe and why that matters? I was invited to leave. <laughs> um, and I didn't leave because I was sort of exposed at this point. So I just stayed right where I was and waited to the end and I didn't go back. But again, this, this idea of what it meant to be a Christian, to speak the truth, but to do so in love had been infused into me as a young person. It was okay to have differences. It was okay for us to disagree on something, but to then turn around and tear someone apart didn't seem to be consistent with the life and teachings of Jesus that I grew up paying attention to. You know, this reminds me of the book of James chapter three. Some of you may have read this before. We believe that James was a brother of Jesus. He was a leader within the church in Jerusalem and he talks a lot about what it means for us to have faith, but to live it out. You may have heard faith without works is dead, right? James 3 talks about our tongues. James 3 talks about our words and how we speak. In fact, James 3 says that our tongues can create little fires, that they are sort of evil in a way. And when we, when we speak, 
words that are evil or mean or derisive, what we end up doing is take that fire, that sin, and we just throw it out in the world and see it burn. That's what James says about our tongues. Later on, he says that our tongues are capable of both blessing or praising God, but they're also possible with them to curse other human beings as well. And then James says this, my friends, this should not be so. My friends, this should not be so. James says that our words are so important. Our words as Christians, as living sanctuaries, right? Our words as Christians are so important that how we say them matters. Today we're looking at the Gospel of John in the fourth chapter as Jesus meets a Samaritan woman. And we're using this passage to talk about how Jesus speaks so that we can learn from it. So if you heard the scripture passage that Pastor Michael read, you'll know that in the passage, Jesus is alone at a well somewhere near Sikar, which is probably more modern day Shechem in Israel. And he is in this area of Samaria where most Jews would avoid because they didn't want to be associated with someone who is a Samaritan. Maybe you remember the Good Samaritan story we talked about earlier this summer. So Jesus was there in Samaria at this well that was apparently a well that Jacob from the Old Testament would visit and drink from along with his sons. And it was at this place around noon, the heat of the day, where most people would have already gotten their water and gone back to home, gone back to the fields, whatever they would have done, except for this one woman who ends up coming to the well at about noon. And there's a whole other sermon about this woman and why she's at the well at noon. But let's look at what Jesus actually does. He's sitting at the well. He doesn't have a jar. He doesn't have a bucket of any kind. And he asks this woman, knowing she's a Samaritan, to come and to give him some water. Could you use your bucket, your jar, to get water for me? Now, it's clear that this is a very odd thing for Jesus to do because the woman is shocked. At the end of the passage, we see that the disciples show up and they're shocked that Jesus is talking to number one, a woman, and number two, a Samaritan woman. But Jesus talks to her and invites her into a conversation. He doesn't start by saying, I am Jesus, bow before, you know, he doesn't do that. He is reaching out to her as a human being and he says, come and get me some water. He doesn't label her, instead he treats her as a human being. And they get into a conversation and you see that she's sort of tied up in why he's talking to her, why he's here. She knows he's a Jew. Why are you talking to me? And, and yet Jesus doesn't really respond to those questions. He still talks to her person to person. It's clear that Jesus cares for her, and it's clear that he wants something good for her life, even though there are divisions between them as a Jew and Samaritan. In fact, before she even knows who he is, he's offering her indirectly living water. If you knew who I was, and that I could give you water that would never make you thirsty ever again, you would ask for it. And by the end of the passage, she does. Without even acknowledging who he is, he already is starting to invite her into something more. Giving her blessings and inviting her into life that matters. I think it's really important that we look at how Jesus treats other people and speaks to people because more often than not, 
He is not there to educate people, but to meet people as they are. And then as he listens to what they say, and as he, through being the son of God, knows what their thoughts are, knows what their hearts are, begins to invite them into something more with God. Now that second part, we won't really have the opportunity to do, will we? We won't be able to see in people's hearts. So we have to assume things based on what we know, or at least be careful knowing that not everybody is as we think they are, you know? Not every book can be judged by its cover. There is an inst- a, 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 a way that people like us often start a conversation, and it's usually with what? What we want to say, right? We often start conversations with what we want to say, what we want to get across, what we need from them. Instead of meeting people as they are, asking their name, asking about them, getting to know them before we enter deeper into a conversation. There is a, uh, a journalist, uh, her last name is uh, Gravely, and she spoke years ago, years ago, uh, at Savannah, Georgia, at a TEDx con- conference. And she talked about how to have a great conversation. And in her TED talk, she talks about how to treat people as human beings and connect with them and to listen to them. Now, this video of her on TED.com has been viewed 12 million times. And some people know her and seek her out to ask questions. Some people have met her at another conference. And do you know what she says? All the people that come up to her, nine out of 10 of them never ask her these things. Instead, they start asking her about how they can talk to people with terrible communication skills. They say, how can I talk to someone? They are so thick-headed, I can't get them to change, right? That's what they normally say. You know what they never say according to this journalist? I have a hard time paying attention to people. How can I help? How can you help me? I get bored when listening to other people. How can I be better at that? I constantly interrupt other people when they're talking to me. How can I get better at that? She says they never talk about how they can improve. It's always about how do I get through to others? Jesus shows us how to get through to others because he talks to them and connects with them on a real human level. Speaking like Jesus often begins by not trying to get something out of the conversation, but seeking to bless someone through the conversation. I think you notice that in our conversations, we often get lost because our mouths end up flying faster than any other part of us, right? We often have what James calls an unbridled tongue in James chapter three. It's not bent to the will of the person that sort of goes on its own. One of the things that this journalist says is that often our ears are not driving our mouth. Our mouth is in full control. And so in a conversation, if you've ever been in a conversation with someone, you can tell that their ear is not connected to their mouth because they're not responding to what you say. They're waiting for a break in the conversation so that they can tell you what they think, right? But there's another problem. It's not just our ears. Our mouths are sometimes not connected to our brains. Have you ever typed out an email and waited 24 hours before you hit send? After 24 hours, did you look back 
at that email and say, well, there's a better way to say this, right? Have you ever gotten so angry that you said things that you cannot take back? There's a children's moment uh, that you may have seen before where they talk about words and how we can't take them back. And they take a, a tube of toothpaste and they get the kids to squeeze all the toothpaste out of the tube and they say, okay, kids, now we have to put it back. And the kids, they don't want to do that. <laughs> they don't want to touch the toothpaste. But the point is you can't take it back. If our brains were more connected to our mouths, we might think about whether or not what we are going to say, what we're going to speak forever imprinted into the memory of the person in front of us, is it something that's going to bless them? Is it something that's going to encourage them? Or is it something that's going to tear them down or make them feel like they're not heard, make them feel like they're not cared for? That's not the way Jesus speaks. Jesus speaks from the very core of his being. He is the son of God. He has constant relationship with God the Father. And so when he speaks, he is speaking from the core of his being. And we can do that in a different way than Jesus. We can speak from the core of our faith. So not just our ears and our minds driving our mouths. Sometimes it's our faith that drives our mouths as well. As a Christian, how will this be seen? As a Christian, how will this affect the other person as a Christian? How can I show or demonstrate Christ and his love in this moment? We need to be able to use our mouths, our tongues, our words, our speech in such a way to bless and encourage people and to move them further in faith, not derail them because we were too busy letting our mouths fly and fly and fly without thinking a thought about what we were saying. If we speak like Jesus, we have to listen. We have to think. We have to address it through our faith. And then hopefully the words that we give will be ones that will be etched in their hearts forever. Never be to be removed because those words were such a blessing, such an acknowledgement of who they are, such a way of respectfully disagreeing that they know that even though you disagree, you matter to them. That's the kind of way Jesus speaks. And I hope we will be able to think through what it looks for, like us to pause and to think before we speak. At the end of our sentence, at the end of our conversation, at the end of our lives, how many words were wasted? How many words actually did harm? And how many words actually bless somebody else. Let's learn to speak with words that bless instead of curse, that lift up instead of tear down. Let's learn to speak like Jesus. Pastor Michael said last week that how we listen speaks. I want us to remember, not only does how we listen speak, but how we speak to others speak volumes about our own heart and about our faith. Let us pray. Holy and loving God, we thank you for this day and we ask that you would be with us to guide us, to guide our hearts and our minds, to open our ears and to allow us to hear your guidance for us that we would speak words with wisdom and truth, speak words with grace and love and to be a witness to you forever as living 
sanctuaries here on earth. Amen.